Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I ended up making a little pitch of me making something, a one-minute video. Then they said, we're having a secret meeting down there for like TV concepts. Will you guys come and present this? Middle of a meeting, the doors open, and here come these two schmucks from Long Island with a crate. We wheeled in a crate, so there was a mystery. So while he's unscrewing the crate, I go, hey, we don't mean to interrupt your reading. We're John and Jimmy DeResta. We're from Long Island. We're white trash. We like garbage. You know, I'm doing my shtick. I'm married 16 years. I could have killed her and been out of prison. You know, I got these guys laughing, laughing, laughing. Jimmy gets them all the crowd around. It's a resin, like, table. It looks like glass. Two-inch thick resin. Two-inch thick resin, right, on a wrought iron. Jimmy's like, I welded this, I welded that. And in the resin, it said HGTV in wrenches from old, rusty wrenches. Just as he gets them all to lean in, he flicks a fucking switch, and it lights up. And it holds the light like an alien because it's a thick. This is how you know when you have a TV show sold. One guy <laughs> screams, I want it for my office. And then they all fought over it. We were in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me. Barry Katz, glad to have you here today. Thank you all so much for subscribing, passing it on. And for you new people showing up today, thank you so much for doing so. I know you're going to enjoy it a lot and get a lot out of it. And if you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Instagram or Twitter, or you can go to barrycats.com and leave a message there, and I will be glad to get back to you when I can. And today is a great show with two guys who I've known for a long, long time, and I love them dearly. The DeResta brothers, Jimmy DeResta and John DeResta, and their lives and how they've gone about their business and success has been truly, truly inspirational. And their ups and downs are well documented, and they still keep getting up moving forward and doing great work. So without further ado, I will introduce them. 
Jimmy DeResta is a New York-based designer, artist, and video producer. He served as a co-host on his first show with his brother, Trash to Cash, with John DeResta on Fox Television, this FX network. Then he co-hosted Hammered with his brother on HGTV. It was a show that focused on the marriage of Jimmy's craftsmanship and John's humor. The show's tagline was, Jimmy can make anything, and John can make anything funny. Next, he co-hosted Dirty Money with his brother John on Discovery Channel, where they set out scouring every corner of New York City, from dumpsters to flea markets. Since his TV career, he's also entered into the YouTube media business of publishing and has co-hosted the weekly Making It podcast since 2014 and recently started a second podcast, the Fitzfall podcast, all about tools. In 2016, Make Magazine published a book co-written by Jimmy called Workshop Mastery with Jimmy DeResta. And in 2017, DeResta traveled to California to be part of NBC's Making It as an on-camera expert and helper in craftsmanship. Currently, they're shooting their second season, which is hosted by none other than Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman. John DeResta is another story. He dropped out of two colleges and took the New York City police exam in 1986 and was sworn into the worst police department in the history of the world, the New York City Transit Police. And for the next 12 years, John stood in puddles of hot human piss in the Coney Island Stillwell Station, alone with no partner, a radio that didn't work, and the motto of the transit police, you ride, we hide. John was so futile at his job, he had nine arrests in 12 years. And as he would say, his gun was so rusted shut that we'd have to throw it at a perpetrator to take him down. But that all changed when John started his comedy career in the bowels of the New York City comedy circuit. Five years later, he created his own one-man show called Beat, a subway cop's comedy, which opened to rave reviews and led to him signing the largest development deal for a comedian in history with ABC Disney. After that, John quit the police department and moved his wife and three kids to the West Coast. And in the fall of 1998, John's sitcom, Duresta, launched on the UPN network. During that period, John made two very memorable appearances on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and The Howard Stern Show. Besides all the shows he hosted with his brother throughout the years, John went on to secure very big supporting roles in the movies Miss Congeniality 1 and 2 with Sandra Bullock, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days with Matthew McConaughey, and 15 Minutes with Robert De Niro. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, two of the most wonderful brothers I've ever met in my entire career, and certainly two of the most talented. Please welcome John and Jimmy DeResta. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Barry. Yeah, thank you. No problem. I'm sorry that I didn't hug you first. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay it was it was and watch this i had like you again you take long lanky steps <laughs> you do it's dinosaurish 
<laughs> and you slowed it down even more because you, you knew you were going to hug Jimmy first and you were like, and it, it all happened in slow motion and you went like, it, just, it was okay. It was all good. It's so all good. I have nothing but mad respect for you. Is there a friendly competition between you and your brother when it comes to hugging me? No, not at all. <laughs> this is the first time we brought it up, but there is a friendly competition which you don't know about. The last two Sundays at the swap meet, I wore a t-shirt custom made that said, I'm not Jimmy. So it goes to show you that people, he has a lot of fans. I mean, I get stopped on the street. Usually it's at a hardware store or lumber yard and they go, oh my God, I don't believe it. My wife hates you. I listen to all your stuff. I thought you lived in upstate New York. And I go, I'm not him. And they go, oh shit, you're right. It happened the other day at the swap meet. A young guy came up and he said, and he was actually starstruck. And he said, young Hispanic guy, like two weeks ago. From, 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 from East LA. Why, he, why does he have to be Hispanic? It, it, that's what Jimmy says a lot, too. <laughs> to remind him. But you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a nice And guy. that guy goes, I'm, excuse me, I'm really nervous. I'm like starstruck. And he looked at Jimmy and then he went, uh, for you too. I'm starstruck for you too. <laughs> so Jimmy is the star now. He wins. I don't think there's a healthy competition. You know those times when you're doing comedy and you're still doing comedy very well, but you'd be in this lineup of comics outside the door after the show and you'd kill and there'd always be this one guy who didn't do that well, but he'd in the line outside. Right, he's like, lying, shaking hands. like, hey man, John, you are unbelievable. Chappelle, incredible. Keep it up, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I saw a guy bomb so bad at Caroline's on the bringer night. Andy Angle, the guy brought 50 relatives, and he bombed so bad that his uncle was seen saying to him in the bathroom, it was the first time he saw him, and they were, you know, he had just done the set, and it was really dead. It was 250 people, and it was silent. And the uncle said to him, at least you have your health. <laughs> That's all he said after this guy said. <laughs> and Jimmy had an incident in Caroline's bathroom with... Um, I don't want to hear about okay. uh, dalliances. No, Jimmy tried to give props to a comedian. He said, hey, man, you were pretty funny. And the guy said to you, you remember what I'm talking about. I can't, I can't remember. So you don't remember the story. He was... Um, remind me. I'll black remember. curly hair, Roger Rabbit, been around 100 years. Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer. You said to Charles Fleischer, oh, hey, you, you were, were pretty funny. You were trying to give him... Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Trying to give him props. And he basically asked you, what do you do for a living? What he do was, I said if you were a pretty good... He was weird. Yeah, we were in the bathroom and I said, I go, oh, yeah, he do. And I go, you, you're funny. And he goes, I am. And he just kind of like, he got weird. But he's a weird dude. Yes, he is. Yeah. John, are all comedians weird? Do you know anybody in your long career who you would say, who is the most normal if there was a normal? <laughs> the only name that comes to mind, and I've only met him once or twice, is Ray Romano. You know, just when you say someone that's normal that doesn't have hang-ups, you know, I think I'm normal, like compared to the other comedians, but I'm sure I'm not. Um, I like Steve Marshall, I like, but you know, we call him the comedy cockroach. You know, he's got a crazy weird life. He buys a cup of coffee at eight in the morning, and 18 hours later, he still has the same coffee. <laughs> have you ever noticed it? Yeah, he hugs it all day long. He hugs it all day long. It's stained from all the walking. And we literally call in my home, we call it a Steve Marshall. <laughs> when you take a coffee at 8 in the morning and at 10 at night, I'm still nursing it. How could that be possible? He, Steve Marshall, and, and has a newspaper under an arm. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Who does that anymore? <laughs> How old is Steve Marshall? You know, <clears throat> I never, he never told me and I never wanted to know. He's my buddy and I never wanted to know. Same with Peter Wren. 
You know that other old guy I used to hang out with? The ex-Marine, he was a writer. Yeah, these are two comedians who've been doing a long time. Long time, and I never, neither of them talked about their age. And I, um, recently a girl from L.A. was going to New York. I said, have lunch with Steve, he'll show you around. And she knew him one day and she said to me, do you know who old Steve is? And I said, I don't want, as she was, I was going to say, I don't want to know. I think she said 65, but I could be wrong. But my memory of her now is tainted forever for giving me the secret. Like, I just didn't want to know, and he didn't want to tell me. You know who's old? Me? Jay London. And I like Jay London. But Jay he's no London, former boxer, hilarious comedian. From, yeah, last from comic New York, standing. Last, last comic, comic standing with the overalls. Yeah, my, and drove a cab at night. My favorite David Tell joke where he says, went to the Gap with one of my friends. He comes out of the dressing room. He's wearing overalls. He looks at me. He says, Dave... What go with these? I looked at him and I said, I'll tell you what, don't go with those. Jobs and women. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny. I do a joke. This is a super inside joke that, uh, you know, when I first met my wife, she looked like Joan London. Remember from ABC, Good Morning America, with Joan short London. Hair? Short hair? You know, long, short hair. She looked like Joan London. And now 30 years later, she looks more like Jay London. <laughs> but it's a bit of an inside comedian. Does show. your wife know you'd say that stuff? Um, it, it's it's a strange dynamic. I don't go over my sets where she could hear anymore. I'm so far into this that I know she'll pick up one word. But now we're at the level where it's she says say anything and do anything. Um, Bandy, how long have you been married? Thirty. Uh, 30 January fourteenth is thirty. Thirty years. How, yeah. How many good years? Probably about two, two and a half, <laughs> three. Do you remember when you first met your wife? Say, I absolutely remember. I, did you say to him, listen, uh, uh, I really like that girl, or did you say, run? No, no, no. I mean, you, you were kind of living your own life at that time. You were kind of on your own, so you were... I forget where you were living. I know exactly where I met her. You probably don't know this, right? You met her on a ski trip. No, well, I went on a blind date with the guys from Coney Island, the cops... We all worked eight at night to four in the morning. You rode the subway train as a rookie. And one of the girls said, you got to meet my sister. You got to meet my sister. She may have even showed me a photo. That's, but I don't, I don't remember that for sure. One of the girls that was a, a cop. cop. You have to meet my sister. Fran. She wanted to set you up. She wanted to sister. set me up on a date. This is fascinating to me because one of your fellow officers, from my understanding in the police force, it's the one job where you actually really show every part of you to your coworkers. I mean, they know everything about you. That's true, because there's extended hours. And you that and a comedian, if you think about it. You know, comedians, we know. But yes, yeah, 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 without a doubt, you spend a lot of time with certain guys. You spend eight, ten hours. So to have her recommend you when you showed every side of you. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. That's true. I see what you're saying. Ah, not if you knew my wife. Because I think they were, I think they were, you know, they were looking to, you know, foisted. find someone that had ten dollar co payments. You know what I mean? She was foisted on. Yeah, them. not foisted, but you know, like, <laughs> no. What is foisted? What's the definition of that? Hoist, uh, hoist and heaved and heaved. <laughs> no, but you want to know where I got that from? Speaking of Jimmy Duresta, um, our brother. We have a third brother. You have a third brother. Once yeah, Joey podcast. He's out in the car. Joey got married, and I don't know. Again, I don't know how much we could share on this. And I, I said to Jimmy 15, 20 years ago, didn't her family, who's from New Jersey, didn't they kind of see Joey's quirks? <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you know what I mean? Like, how do they agree on Joey? What are Joey's quirks? <laughs> do you know John Wayne? Do you know John Wayne Gacy? He didn't that always wear a, a clown outfit. That was a serial killer. John. Your brother's not a serial. <laughs> no, killer. no, no. But I said that Jimmy doesn't, uh, you know, Joey's quirks and. And in a kind of a nice way, Joey said that they were, you know, hey, you know, he's just young, he's good looking, you know, she's, you know. <laughs> so are you saying that Joey ruined her life? No, no, Joey no. Joey got foisted upon too. No, I'm saying, in other words, sometimes these, sometimes young women in their 20s are looking to get married. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, uh, <laughs> you were married? Yes, I know that. Yeah, you remember the first time you met her? We she all was, do. She was 20. Three, right? Okay, I don't know. I was I was twenty three and my wife to... was twenty five. So you're saying you wanted to sleep with my wife? No, 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 no. Her. I'm saying we all remember that first moment. And for me, it's it's I was a cop in Coney Island under the subway at uh, you know whatever it is Friday at eight in the morning. This jeep pulled in and it had smoked windows and the side door opened and there was my Coney Island baby. I saw and remember my wife for the first time oh, in the really? back of this international four-door jeep that had the wooden panel this is a blind date it's a blind date we went to a ski resort for the whole weekend so if it didn't work out and watch this is a funny story we were all playing poker getting drunk did everybody know yeah everybody knew it was a blind date everybody it was the big it was the how do you go on a blind date sleepover you get laid the first night (laughs) is that what happened (laughs) of course with 17 drunken cops watching (laughs) <laughs> I still can look up and see Rob Lodato and John Logan looking down at me and shaking their head huh? while I was in the Kachuzzi. <laughs> could, def- could you define Kachuzzi? <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, <laughs> it's got a naked Irish girl with red hair and hot water in it. <laughs> it's a Kachuzzi. It's a Right? It's got like jets. <laughs> a jacuzzi. Hi. <laughs> so, what you're saying to me is you had sex with your wife the first night while police officers were watching you. Pretty much. And, I, you know, thank God she doesn't have the internet. <laughs> well, thank God this show doesn't play during Big Bang Theory reruns <laughs> eight times a night with this. How many police officers were sleeping with women in front with my of wife? other police officers None. that weekend? It was, it was this crazy, like, if they did a Lifetime movie about that weekend, you know, we were the, we were the stars. It was a lot of fun, and this is a very funny story. As After we had, you know, knew that we were all going to be together, and her and I, it was like a three-day thing. So, like, a day into it, um, I was leaning back. Was I leaning? I was leaning back in a chair. <laughs> I was leaning back in a chair. We were playing poker and we yeah. couldn't smoke pot. We were cops. So we were all drinking, playing poker, and I'm coupled up and everyone's got that. But most of these guys were married already. And I was leaning back and I came down really hard to throw money in the middle of the pot. And somehow, some way, I came right down on the top of Fran's foot, my future wife. And to this day, the cops think that she slid her foot under there to secure. Like she, like I would feel guilty. It's not with that joke's not working, but it's a true story. Are you looking at me? No. <laughs> that she slid her foot under there for like a guilt move. A guilt bomb. But we've been. It's been thirty years. 
three kids, and it has not been easy. And, you know, think about it. She married a rookie cop. Then we had money. Then we didn't have money. Then we had money. I had a TV wife. Very few of your guests here can tell you that the TV wife uh, was not a good thing at home. What's a TV wife? I had a sitcom, and I had to kiss the wife, and she had to sit on my lap, and my wife, my real wife, got jealous of that. Were you attracted to your TV wife? I was attracted to any other woman. You know, you're married. Is that what happened? <laughs> you're married? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I got along really well with Leela, but uh, no, her name was Leela Kensel. She was on Mad About You. She was the best friend on Mad About You. Was your wife attracted to other guys? Um... Not that I know of. I do know this. Again, I don't know if I'm supposed to overshare. But just as I got the sitcom deal, we lived in Seaford. Jimmy remembers we rented what a house kind of in town Seaford. Seaford. Seaford is right next to Massapequa. And Massapequa is Joey Botafuco, um, Jerry Seinfeld, and the Baldwin brothers. Nice neighborhood. So before you got the sitcom, where were you living? Upstate New York, 50 miles north. Why? Just one day we up and kind of visited up there. We had two little kids and we liked it. And I mean, now looking back, there might have been meddling in-laws and meddling family members that were making a lot of decisions so for us. So you commuted? I commuted 50 miles to work every day in snow, blizzards, everything. It was brutal. It was like... <laughs> No, it's just like it's just like moving to uh, Palmdale. If you live out here, guys that go, oh, you can get a house for 200 grand in Palmdale or Lancaster. Yeah, it was a long ride. And then we lived in Seaford. And um, why did I bring? Oh, my wife said right before we moved to L.A. for the sitcom, my wife sat me down and said, uh, you know, I, I have to tell you something. I had an affair. And I was that before I can almost even process it. She was it's uh, it was with Karen next door. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> who's your mommy? <laughs> so she had an affair with a woman. Yeah, exactly. You're smart. That would, thank you. That would never bother me. No, it didn't. That's what I'm getting. Hence the uh, story. It didn't bother me. Got it. Yeah, it was, I bet it was, you invited Karen over a lot after that. Yeah, I, believe me. Is Karen coming? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Jimmy, what's your relationship status? What is it now, and what is I'm it with, been in the I'm past? I'm with Taylor. Taylor and I have been together for nine years. She's uh, an artist and a designer, and she's a, a big part of my life. Nine years. Nine years we've been together. Can bake bread in a day. Yeah, we, we, she doesn't come from a married family. Her parents were never married. Her mother was kind of a little bit of a free spirit. The age difference? Uh, Taylor is 31 and I'm 52. I don't remember that. And you met her nine years ago. I met her when I was 43 and she was 22. Now, what was your relationship like before that? Uh, I was with Heather, who you met when I met, I met you. Heather. Yeah, Heather I, and I are still friends. We grew up together. I liked Heather. Heather's great. Heather's great. And Didn't she work in some kind of a toy or some? What was it? Yeah, thing? I was working with her at a toy company. We got the job. We were together before we got that job. We both got that job working at the same company after we became boyfriend and girlfriend. And you met her? We grew up together. So we just got reacquainted as, you know, adults. And you went out with her for how long? Five years. God. Yeah, five years. And then uh, you met her, and uh, then we split up. Who did I hug first? No! Zazing! And so then uh, when we split up, I was single for about five years. So I stayed single until I met Taylor, and I've been with Taylor now for going on nine years. 
Awesome. I have so many questions to ask you guys. I'm going to start with you first. Go you don't for mind, it. Do you? No, no. So as long as he's okay with him. Oh, I'm, I'm okay with anything. I think I got my, uh, I got a couple of nice laughs. Oh, don't, I'm in a neutral don't corner. Don't worry. I'm going to go back. And <laughs> no, no, no. Corner. I'm good. I did like Heather too. Heather's cool. And Heather and Taylor are friends now through a weird twist of fate, which is great. And does Heather have a boyfriend now? Or? Heather has a boyfriend. She has a store in Woodstock. She sells uh, vintage women's clothes, and she's got a couple of celebrity clients that... I always wanted to open up a vintage clothing store. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, she, she's very, very particular about the clothes she buys. So she's good. So the thing I wanted to ask you yeah. first is kind of weird. So your whole life growing up, at least... When he started being a cop and he did a one-person show about being a policeman and it really went really, really well and there were a lot of reviews and all of a sudden your two brothers coming up and mm -hmm. nobody socially distinguishes between both of you. Nobody mm -hmm. really says, okay, this guy is at a higher status than the other and it seems right. like during your lives it's this weird <clears throat> thing that goes... Yeah. up and down as the years go on yeah so back then when he did the one person show did it shock you the reviews and what was happening for a guy who was an overnight police guy and then no actually it's it, it, the, our relationship i mean we've always been rooting for each other i mean i would assume that's what he thinks <laughs> no, we've, <laughs> no we've always no, no. been we've always been rooting for each other and john i mean i i, I didn't i lend you 300 bucks he lent me 350 and I still owe him for a comedy class. To take his first comedy Teach, class. taught by Lee Frank. You know Lee Frank? Yes. Yeah, oh, no, no. Jimmy, when I uh, when I called, I always knew I wanted to be a comedian at the age of 27. I picked up from the police precinct. I called this like I was in the corner. I said, I'm a, I want to be a comedian. I, I heard this is the number. And it was, and the woman said, yeah, you know, you just need $350 and give me your, you know, home phone number and we'll see you Monday at 7. That, it was a big relief that uh, I called Jimmy and he said, I'll lend you the money. Like it was two, like A, we'll have you, B, you can learn how to be a comedian and C, Jimmy lent me the money. How soon Always... before he paid you back? I haven't, that's the joke. He still hasn't paid me back. I still haven't, he still I'm a mutt. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and so John took the comedy class, and of course he was always funny, and everybody was always rooting for him. I mean, John was the funniest guy growing up. He was like he was the center of attention. Anytime we got hung out, and we would go to rock concerts together, and and John wasn't there. It just wasn't a party. But what's it like being a brother when you got one guy that's the life of the party, and you don't have that skill set? No, well... Did it take pressure off you? No. Or did you look over and like, God, I wish I could be the life of the party? Never, never, never. Because I had different skill sets. I was I was good at it being an artist and designing and developing stuff. So I would help John design and develop some of his marketing. And John would come and hang out and we would just have fun. J Jimmy's toy business friends are the guys that financed the one-man show. Yeah, so I introduced John. You know, to, yeah, he's a big part of it. I introduced John, Joey, and my, Joey, our brother, brother. And I think it was really Joey's idea. Joey said to the guys that we were working with, hey, meet our brother John, let's go watch him. And John did a set of Carolines, and we were all there, our two friends who ended up financing John's one-person show. Was the show. set of Carolines a cross-section of the show, or was it just your stand-up Just John's stand-up at the time. I mean, I don't even think you met those guys. Had you met them before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the brief story. I keep a running count of my sets. My graduation from the uh, Gotham Comedy School, I had nothing to do with Gotham Comedy, it was just the name of it. Uh, at my graduation, I got paid two bucks a head. You know this whole kind of the way it works. And Jimmy, my sister Kathleen came. I made four bucks the first night. 
and uh, I more than I make now. And it made four bucks. And uh, then I kept a running count. Set 33 was a big set in Rockville Center, Long Island, a bringer. But a lot of, like, it was the one that kind of kept me in the business. A bringer show. Where right, you bringer to bring show. people. How many people did you have to bring? I Well, I brought, I wound up bringing like 40 or 50. Uh, Rick Morgan and Al Martin put 250 bucks in my hand. I was only doing it like six months. And to get 250 bucks and to get huge laughs because all our relatives were there, but it was a good set. And then, and then I went to the front of the hotel and they said, oh, well, it's usually a hundred bucks. You could, we heard you're so funny. We'll give you the room for 25. And that night I laid in bed and cried and said, I know that, wow, I could do this. 250 killed, you know what I mean? And how many times had you been on stage up to that point? That was set 33. 33rd set. 33rd set. And I'm actually, again, as a New York City cop, your off-duty job is 10 bucks an hour to ask people to check their bag, you know, at nice price or strawberries. You know what I mean? So to make $250 in 15 minutes, um, then I'm just giving you a quick set 50. I won New York's Funniest Cop. And set 72 was the set of Carolines that Jimmy came with the toy guys. And my opening joke, I came out, I didn't smile at all. I just, I walked up to the uh, microphone and I said, uh, I'm not having a good day. I tried that phone sex and the receiver got stuck in my ass. <laughs> and there was something special about it. There was no smile. There was no anything. And, it, and from that joke on, the one man show started to get built. And, and yeah, I talked about being a cop that night. And funny comedy uh, story. So anyway, set set 72, I killed. It was uh, Tracy Esposito was on the show. The air conditioning was broke at Caroline's. It was August 3rd of 1993. And it was like 100 degrees down there. The air conditioning was broke. Tracy Esposito, Janice Massetti. But who had to go on right after me was uh, Michael Douglas's brother. Oh, I remember Steven. that night. And he bombed horrifically. My set was like, you know, rock and roll, the greatest thing. Everybody loved it. He came on. He got angry with them. He bombed. And then he came into the green room and goes, you were really funny. But I don't bring my whole police department and all my family from Long Island with me wherever I go. And I was going to make a wise ass snap to him. And I said he had already bombed. And I heard he hit someone in the head with a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> so those two thoughts went through my head. And then in a weird twist of fate, uh, we, Jimmy and I did a fix-it show called uh, Hammered for HGTV. Which that was my favorite name for a fix-it show. And this is before Airbnb, the production company rented Stephen Douglas's apartment. And I slept in the bed that the poor guy committed suicide in. I slept in it for two weeks. So this was a know? big budget show. <laughs> you didn't know that? Me Wait. and Peter Wren stayed in his apartment for oh, two weeks. No, Remember like sometimes I, 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 you put like Street? Some, somewhere up a west side. What I also love about you and you as well is that you always try to give back no matter what. You get the show. Peter Wren has a job. Yeah, 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 yeah. Steve Marshall is somehow consulting in some way. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, hey, I wish, you know, I always wanted my own posse. You remember I used to hang out with a lot of misfits. Remember the short guy? You're not allowed to use the M word anymore. The little person. Yeah, and I would buy suits and him and I would walk around. We'd look exactly alike. <laughs> He's a mortgage broker, right? He was a mortgage broker. <laughs> what, what, what's his name again? Gary Friedkin. Gary Friedkin. He's a comedian, right? He was a comedian mortgage broker, and I don't like to, you know, he was on Happy Days. That's a big credit. He was on Happy Days. What does that mean? The, the TV <laughs> show Happy Days. That, that, so that was his big credit, that he was on Happy Days. I was trying to be facetious. What, did, what he retired? 
Uh, he is now not doing well. The the short back, you know, all that shit catches up with you. <laughs> <laughs> the, the short back? Yeah, I, you know, yeah, whole little. I didn't know that. <laughs> it causes they're help. crunched up. You think Brad oh. Williams is going to know that? I don't know. He looks a little more spry than Gary Freakin. He is spry. Yeah, he's a uh, Gary moved back to Youngstown, Ohio. For health reasons. But yes, he was a mortgage broker. And ready for this? He got swindled out of his life savings. Oh, no. 15 grand. You know, just lend it to me. Two days, it'll be 30 grand. One of those deals. And you still haven't given them up. As yoink. <laughs> <laughs> I opened up a comedy school. So, Jimmy, you never felt any pressure at all? You're trying no. to tell me. I mean, between me and my brothers and our sister, uh, we always really supported each other. Because we were all very different. It, it, like, if, if, if he wanted... If if I wanted to be a comedian just like him, I think it probably would have caused tension because it always like I see brothers like like Tony Rock and Chris Rock. I always wonder, you know, the dynamic. It might be difficult between brothers that are trying to do the same exact thing. When John started catching some heat in ninety eight, ninety nine, and you got the job to come out to L A, I had some friends that were constantly saying, "Now that John's going to be in show business, do you want to be in show business?" And I always said, I. I will only be in show business if I could just be myself because I'm confident doing what I do. I, I create art. Well, do you things. think he was being himself? <clears throat> no, but John was going after roles. He started getting the, t you know, he got the TV show, then he got the Miss. No, I think, you, I think you're missing a beat. I think he's saying, like, in other words, he's not looking to be an actor. He'll I never be in wanted show to be as if they hired Jimmy DeResta. I wasn't as a, I wasn't a comedian and I was only a builder designer. So oh. I would only be in show business if I could be a builder designer. Okay. And there was no foresight of that at all. When people would ask me, I never. And so basically I was saying, I'm not going to have a be on TV. Because Did you want to be on TV? At the time, not you know, really. When he was 27, he said, I want to be a comedian. I never, ever you thought never about wanted being, to be on TV. And it was never a thought in my mind. Not I want to be an artist. ever. I just wanted to be an artist. <laughs> no, seriously, I never did. So then how does it happen for the first time? And who approaches you with the idea of being on television and... What do you say when it happens? The, the moment I was asked to be on TV was a complete left turn. Uh, John came up with this idea. John was in between gigs and he came up with this idea. He's like, hey, if I pick the garbage and make it into stuff, let's film it and I'll make the things and be funny while I make them. And you'll feed me the technical stuff, like how to make the table. And, you'll and while the idea was while the cameras were off. I would make you the, would make I, the stuff, and I would get the credit for the genius. And I wasn't even at all remotely like I want that. I was like, "That's great, let's do it." I just wanted a job on TV, behind the scenes, making him funny. So you wanted to be behind the scenes, totally. And do you remember how I overprepared for that meeting? I had like a big book and everything. <laughs> you had the big book, yeah. But John pitches you what? When I'm not around, what does he pitch? John goes, "Hey, let's let's make a." Let's you shot a, a sizzle reel. I was learning Bert how to. Pressure was in the backyard for a few days. No, no, but I was learning how to edit. I was learning how to use Final Cut Pro and all this stuff. And he goes, "Hey, while you're doing this, why don't, let's shoot a pilot of me picking garbage, and making it into stuff." I was like, "That'd be a great idea." Had you ever shot a sizzle reel in your life? No. So right now, to get anything sold. If you don't have any kind of sizzle reel, you're done. At the time. But this is 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Back then, you have a camera the size of Rhode Island. <laughs> exactly. And the battery. He and I shot, remember that stupid movie the three of us made? Me, John, and Joey made a movie. Simply and only simply. Family values. For the, to learn how to make a movie. We and never it was had, minus 20 in New York. <laughs> and it was the, the coldest the day and a half The ever. camera batteries kept dying. We just shot it just to see what it was like to shoot a movie. And Annie Berman was it. Do you remember Annie Berman? She was a 70-year-old stand-up woman that wore old dresses. 
Remember Andy Berman scene when she, she screamed fuck you? She was so sweet. Yeah. She was a 70 or 80 year old she woman. She started comedy at like 70. And John and Steve, and Steve Marshall, Marshall would always look out for her. What's she doing now? I'm sure she's toes up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> With those stockings that only came up under the knee. You know, the cankle covers. This was in 90. Were you attracted to her? Hey, I was married. <laughs> it's all the same with the lights out. So just to set the timing, this was 98, 99. John had already caught some heat. And so my brother Joey said, hey, let's the three of us make a movie. And my, my goal to make that movie was to learn how to make a movie. Because I wanted to actually edit something beginning so to So you're the director. I was kind of the director and the cinematographer. And the editor. Yes. Were you on camera? No. Not no. And, okay. and Keith was his sound man. And yeah. wherever Jimmy went in these parks and alleyways of New York for the two coldest days in the history of the human race, <laughs> Keith never took his headphones off. So he just walked behind Jimmy like this the whole movie. Because my headphones Jimmy, are connected to my camera. And wherever Jimmy went, Keith was... <laughs> And it was the funniest thing, and we had chicken wings, and Keith and his girlfriend, from, <laughs> they were from upstate New York, and they put a whole chicken wing in their mouth. <laughs> they manipulate it, and they eject the clean bone. <laughs> I've never seen anything like it, and they were both just putting them, stacking them up like they were some kind of village people. <laughs> Remember that? I'd never seen anything like it. <laughs> I used to work with a cop that would, you know how you kick sunflower seeds out of your mouth? You open them up and you kick them out? He did it with pistachios. <laughs> You'd hear them rustling around, crunching. So we shot Family Values in like January 2nd. Who, who wrote it? Joey. 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 Our brother Joey now wanted to be in showbiz. That's what you're digging for him? This son of a bitch was. He thought he was on the fucking Sopranos. So you're looking for the drama. Joey really thought like we could ride John. How long was the short film? It ended up being about 12 or 13 minutes. And I actually, I can't been, even find it. It's, it's on been VHS. renamed by a few people I know about it. It's been renamed 16 Minutes because I was in the movie 15 Minutes with De Niro. Right at that and time. And this was right about 16 Minutes. And it had, if, watch this. If we reviewed the concept, it's not a bad idea. The one mafia guy screws up really bad to get killed so his family can get the insurance. Right. He wants to kill himself. He hates his life and he's in debt. But he gets killed. He pisses off so many people. Yeah. He gets killed. It's my brother Joey in the movie who gets killed. And uh, so his family can get the insurance money. And the big, the big stand down, you know, Sons of Agony scene was in a band shell. Which is now fixed up. Which, which was incredible. all covered with graffiti in the Lower East Side. It had a cool, it had a bit of a concept. Yeah, it was. So that was the first short you ever shot. Yeah. So so when it came time to putting the sizzle reel together, yeah. the idea he had, did you have the exact name for it or did no, you come I, up with it? No, I, I have a memory like a steel trap. We were driving down um, Oxnard. To be, the, wait, to be honest, I'll go back a second. From that movie, I ended up making a few shorts with my buddy Dave, but nothing that was ever published or, put, or entered into a... You were never on camera. I was, no, no. I was only on camera because we couldn't find somebody else. Like, I would be in camera, but I was really all about learning how to make movies. I bought an Aeroflex 16 millimeter film camera. Uh, I shot that and I would get like the one times out of, uh, the, the, I'd get the film developed, but I would edit the video. So you get it back, you get a transfer on video. So I was learning how to do all that. So there was like, from the time we shot what we jokingly call 16 Minutes, Family Values, for like three years, I was just teaching myself how to make movies. And there was, um, 
in the Lower East Side, there's a, a little film house that every Sunday they had a film festival, and you enter a two or three minute movie, and me and Dr. Dave would enter movies every Sunday just just for a laugh. It wasn't, you know, you didn't win anything except popcorn or anything. So we would do that. It was literally just my, just me shadow boxing. And that's all I looked at it as. So he comes to you and he says, listen, I got this idea for the show where I'm going to dumpsters. Right. And I get all these supplies and I make something nice out of it. And right. every episode would be a different thing like that. Yeah. And you said, that's great. And you were out on in California on vacation. Well, uh, I took I took a vacation to come and shoot the idea. And I shot, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 minutes of John finding wood in the garbage, and we made a table, and it ended with him and his wife at the table. You say we made a table. Well, John made it. Me and John and his son, Matt, really were... Were you on camera? No. No, no. Was his son on camera? I think Matt was on camera. I'm sure Matt was, because, yeah. you know, Got the father-son aspect. I remember seeing, right now, now we use wood fill that we buy at a hardware store, but back then the big secret was how to make wood fill out of glue and sawdust. Yeah. And you roll it up. And I remember that being one of the tips that you would teach people at home. In that little sizzle. And so watch this. Not only did I tell Jimmy I want to do the show, I mentioned it to my manager at the time. You might know him, Barry Katz. (laughs) And the way I remember this, I said, I have an idea for a show where I find garbage and fix it up. And uh, you kind of shook your head like right, left, like it's not a good idea. And I kind of said, this is the way I remember it anyway. I said, you know, what's the deal? And you said... um, Would Sean Penn be seen picking garbage? (laughs) And I said, I appreciate the compliment, but Sean Penn is not being evicted. (laughs) Or repossessed. Or declaring bankruptcy. Or his kids get the welfare lunch. Tell me when to stop. When two and a half years before that, I was remotely famous. Um, But you got on board really quick. When you Um, saw the reel. Yeah, when you saw the reel. But the table ended. I mean, the, the sizzle reel ended with um, me having dinner at the table, what was a pile of garbage 20 minutes before, now my family, my wife made the meal, and throughout the shoot, it was only two or three days, Jimmy got a thorn, like an inch and a half long thorn down in his finger, and he said, what, who wants to watch me pull it out? No, no, you're confusing it. Oh. That was when we did the pilot. Oh, it was when we did the pilot. That was a few months later. A few months later, the that real was pilot. Like eight months later. And Bert Kreischer was there. Yeah, and I and pulled Jimmy it. pulled it out super slow, and Bert just let out that crazy laugh he has, and it was really funny. You had to, yeah. like a, it was a, it was really nasty. It was a thorn of a tree, but it was like long and thin, like an inch long. Yeah. So wait, so so going back, you came up with this idea. I shot this reel. It was and, 30 minutes long, and, and you, you saw it. And you never had a thought, like, <laughs> I want to be on camera. No, I did not at all. And you I, never asked him to be on camera. He was going to make the stuff in between, and I was the I was the Howard Stern of woodworking. That was the in my mind. And uh, it was to, like I never ever I was really so focused on filmmaking, and wanting to create content, I didn't even think for one second that I would be on camera. I was really just like worried about the edit, the camera, the sound. And on buying, that note, I was spending all my money on like camera equipment. And, you know the best Sony and on that note there was never a doubt that it wasn't going to look good like there was never oh we hope this looks good or you know oh we hope somebody wants like we knew that between me being funny showing people that you could turn a five dollar pile of old wood into a three or four hundred five hundred dollar item like we knew that was a hook um and then when you liked it and just so i don't forget driving down oxnard right by cold water my daughter sabrina said what if we called it trash to cash and if you remember we all looked up trash to cash but a woman owned it, some like, you know, old lady that loves flea markets or something. She had like a video series or something. Um, so, uh, Toes up. T- t- I was looking for a callback, <laughs> I let it go. Um, 
You saw the 30 minute tape. I made like a 35 minute tape and you looked and you go, this is great, but we need to cut it down to five minutes. And you came when I was working at a toy company. You came and we sat at my computer late night. I was allowed in the place all the time. I love editing. And we edited it down to like five, seven minutes. And it was fantastic. And it was funny. And then another funny little anecdote, you and I went for a walk to get a coffee or something. And do you remember who we bumped into on 21st Street and 7th Avenue? It was Seth Meyers was walking on the street. That's right. And you go, and you screamed across the street. We were in front of Tramps, and you screamed, Seth, and he comes over, and you go, oh, this is my buddy Seth, and, and he hadn't even been on Saturday Night Live yet. And then I remember he popped up on SNL, and I was like, oh, that's that guy Barry was talking to on the street. Like, prior to that, you just said, oh, he's, my, he's a comedian. Or Who's something. Seth Myers? <laughs> no, no, I watch his show every night. <laughs> and I know, I watch it. I watch all the late night shows, dude. I Seth, I, I, Seth is one of the most, for me, is what I watch the most, Seth Myers on, on YouTube. Never watch it on TV, only on YouTube. No, I watch Colbert's monologue every night. I went from a guy that didn't like him to he, he's my update on the news and he tells great jokes and it's witty and it's funny. And I don't ever miss um, the other guy on HBO, Bill Maher. Yeah. Another one. Sort of stand up a hundred years ago, wasn't a fan, and now love everything about the guy. John Oliver? No, no, it's funny. I, for some reason, he doesn't hook me. I love John Oliver. Yeah, for some reason. Interesting. So, yeah. okay, so we edit the thing down. We edit, and then and we then get... I had a friend of mine who <laughs> just had taken a job at Fox Alternative. Yeah, it was like a David good... Martin, who's now yeah. the head of Avalon Management and okay. Production. So last time I saw you, other than the uh, famous flea market hug was at his office. He called me in about two years ago and just said, I want to see what you're doing. And I thought it was going to lead to big things. And I was in that office meeting with somebody. Well, I was meeting Ben with... Glebe and his dad. You were meeting someone with Ben Glebe, who has a funny voice. Why would I be meeting with Ben and his dad? Is he brought his dad on the meeting. He thought it'd be funny. You guys were pitching some kind of TV show huh. that Ben brought his dad with him as a funny. And you were there. And you, I was there. And how did that meeting go with David? Um, it, it seemed to go okay, but it just didn't turn. He kind of said, if anything comes up for you, I have my mind out, you know, and that was it. And then I got a parking ticket. <laughs> and I left my good sunglasses there. Called an hour later. No, we don't see them. <laughs> Meanwhile, David was walking. Right yeah. There. So you hooked up a meeting with David and you just said, get ready for the meeting and fly out here. And we had a great meeting, and he bought the show. Well, can I can I can I the, cut the, in the way moment, I remember it? Yeah, that moment in the meeting, I remember he said he goes, "Okay, I get it." Like he saw the tape; he had seen it before we got there, so he didn't watch it with us. But I brought, I overprepared, you know, always overprepare. That's one of my my credos is overprepare for anything you do. And so I had a big book, and I I outlined twenty episodes of what would be the show. We would find bottles and make them into a canoe. That's what John said, and uh, you know. So I showed the book and I showed the, and Kenny was getting bored and he just because I get it, I get it, I get it. I, you find garbage, you make it into stuff. He goes, so you make stuff. You want to make stuff behind the camera. I go, yeah, yeah, that's my, that would be my role. He goes, well, why don't you just make stuff on camera and why don't you just be funny? Would you be okay with that? He looked at me and goes, would you be okay if we shot a pilot and you were on camera? I said, sure. But that was the moment. That was the moment I lost 33% of my paycheck <laughs> <laughs> to Jimmy Duresta. When you guys left and said goodbye to me, and I hugged Jimmy first, and you <laughs> yeah, I'm on the way out, and then you guys got in the car. Were you upset? Not at all. Not at were all. No. And again, this is the way I remember it. I remember him watching it, and it didn't even end. And he hit pause and said, oh, "I like it. I get it. I get it." Okay. And he said to you, "But would you ever think about going on camera?" 
and you said I never really thought of it but you know he said you know you'd be the funny one you'd be the straight one however he said it and and I don't know if it was right then but basically my my episodic fee <laughs> they <laughs> no they came, 10 grand. They it said, was 10 grand a, a show which is a lot of money for these shows yeah. and they said 3500 would go to Jimmy if is that okay and uh, I said, well, I never blinked for a minute. I, I remember it this way. They said, the budget for you two is mm -hmm. 10 grand. You uh, guys decide how you want to split oh, it. Oh, so look, and then I, I put a thumb in his rectum. I took 75. Well, I told, I said, he's got kids and a family and he was in need of the money. I was doing pretty well with the toy business. So I said, you know. And I had, and I had seen that happen before on my sitcom. On my sitcom, we were trying to cast a sergeant and everybody got all excited that uh, God rest his soul, Richard Jenny would take the job as the sergeant without an audition. And I remember the head writer hanging up the phone and saying, I lose a writer. This guy wants so much money to be the sergeant on US sitcom that I would lose a writer. And um, you know what I'm saying? So I've seen that. I know that they take money from here and there. For those who are listening, that's called offer only. You want an actor, casting director in the show and the producers an actor will only consider a role if he gets the offer and if you ask him to audition they say no but richard jenny was offer only because he'd just come off of his sitcom platypus man he was on platypus some of the people at upn thought it was too soon because this was a upn show and the other guy ready for this this is how tv works the other two people that were up for the sergeant on my sitcom uh the other two or three were uh tone loke wojahowitz <laughs> he was good. Yeah. And the parrot from Beretta. Yeah, you <laughs> You've been sitting on that one for 40 years. No, there was. Oh, are you ready for this? <laughs> the parrot from Beretta. <laughs> I heard you use that punchline. That's what I'm saying. I heard you do it. He's been sitting on it. He back pocketed it. <laughs> Meatloaf. <laughs> it was Tone Loke, Wojohowitz, and Meatloaf that they were going to bring in. How many of those people were toes up now? <laughs> toes up. <laughs> Callback. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, and you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. 
It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment, and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the Air Doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the Air Doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. So you shoot the pilot. And the name of it is Trash the Cash with John DeRest. Right, right. Which was a, but you're in the show. It isn't Trash the <laughs> we're Cash. We're crying from laughing. It isn't. I am crying. It uh, isn't Trash the Cash with John DeRest and Jimmy DeRest. Well, from, I knew my place. No, John, I think John I think at that time it was just just the way it was. You know, again, John, I, I had done my sitcom. I had done Miss Congeniality with Sandra Bullock. I had done 15 Minutes with Robert De Niro um, and Ed Burns. And I did The Tonight Show as a panel guest. And I had killed on Howard Stern. Howard Stern is twice? my idol. Were you on Stern twice? I was on Stern twice, but the first one was memorable. The second one was like 10 minutes. And, he, you know, they, they were, I got on at like 10 a.m. And they went to like 10, 15. Um, so it was just the hierarchy was in... in in place yeah and john had paid so many dues like i was i was just grateful to even be considered and now i was like oh wow this would be great now I, you guys did the pilot but i thought they committed to six episodes right away no we did a pilot then six right we did, we did total seven i don't remember how it broke down but i remember pretty sure the pilot was the guys that wanted a um uh they it was the Vegas. The Vegas one. And do you yeah. remember the stripper they brought in? Yeah, she was very, very attractive. No, Wait, you should have looked up the photos. They brought in a stripper. So the show ended up being, it got picked up that by David. That salary a little bit, didn't it? What's that? The <laughs> prostitute? They in the silk stripper. Oh, fuck. You <laughs> to see the photos online. Now, why do you If she had a dick, stripper? I would suck it. Why? <laughs> I mean, that's a compliment. Why do you associate strippers with prostitution? Oh, come on, Bobby. <laughs> what are you, a social justice warrior? <laughs> They're sluts and skanks. Jobs. <laughs> you never met a stripper that was legit that was going to school to make money. Yeah, for her little Blasian kid. 
<laughs> Blasian? Yeah. What's Blasian? Black and Asian. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I went easy. <laughs> I'll see you at the trial. <laughs> Dude, the first time I got a blowjob was in Coney Island with Jairo Gomez. Jimmy knows him. Jairo it, Gomez? It cost me five bucks and a large Coke, no ice. <laughs> okay? she wasn't. He wasn't going to college. <laughs> I said, thank you, Precious, and he went, call me Derek. <laughs> and there was open wounds on the arms. Okay? We were from Long Island. We didn't know better. Remember Charlie Barnett's? He'd say, there's good and bad and everything. Good and bad and everything. Take crack. You don't think that there could possibly something good in crack, but crack brought the price of pussy well, down yeah, the bottom. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. That's a great joke. When I and then years later, when I got on the job at Coney Island, I so I got on in '86, '87, and again, I could no Hollywood writer could write this. Um, the old time transit cops, the guys that had 20, 30 years on, big bellies that slept all night, that really had it down to a science. They spoke of fifty cent blowjobs. Fifty cent. <laughs> The Fifty cent blowjobs at Coney Island. <laughs> looks That's disgusting. better than Costco, <laughs> right? Or Lowe's or BJ or Smart and Final. So back then there was a group of people who were transsexual who were giving blowjobs. Well, you know, if you want to mush all my stories together, yeah, they were. <laughs> my first blowjob was from a guy, I think. <laughs> I mean, it had hands and forearms, like you know. Mark Gaston up. <laughs> so you paid for sex the first time. Me Jairo Gomez. Yeah. We drove from Long Island to Coney Island. So the police didn't care about that. No. No, no. At time, I, I mean, I, I personally never uh, was involved. You never paid for sex? I never did that, no. But I would, I've been in a car with I a group. Washed, I got beat up by a prostitute when I was a cop. <laughs> I've been with guys that said, let's go to the West Side. So I drove there and then w went for a walk while they did their business. I remember that when I opened the Boston Comedy Club and I used to have my old car and I used to drive home at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, whatever. And I would drive up, I believe, 6th Avenue. Yeah, 6th Avenue. You drive cool. north on 6th Avenue and right before it hits Central Park, which is at 59th Street, on the left side, for two or three blocks, there'd be these beautiful women in fur coats and mini skirts. Yeah, dude, I remember that too. You know, it was funny. I was a when I became a transit cop in 86, 87, I worked District 1, Columbus Circle. And somehow when we would leave Columbus Circle at 4 in the morning, I would wind up by 57th and something. And there'd be all these, uh, you know, chicks in fur coats. And then, small comedy twist, Jackie Mason lived by there. And I would be at four in the morning and like, you know, every night I'd see prostitutes, but once every three weeks, you'd see Jackie Mason cutting out of a car, like into his apartment. You know what I mean? And they, and they all had bad orange dyed hair. And even though prostitution was illegal, you guys never bothered. When I, well, I was in a cop. No, not at all. Watch this. When I was a cop in Coney Island, we used to get off at four in the morning. So you know there are prostitutes. You know the prostitutes, and not only did they not bother them, a guy who's on my friend, Facebook friends with his wife and kids, love my family, can't do it without them. You know, arm and arm at the Little League game in oh, Florida. No. Oh, yeah. Don't we care. used to get up at 4 in the morning. I'm not mentioning names. <laughs> he would get a snorsage in the back seat of our carpool with the other guy sitting there. He didn't even bother to clear out the car. <laughs> 
He would get like they, like it would be laying over two people. You didn't even know if it was a man or a woman. <laughs> Snorsage and a off-duty cop that just got off for five bucks. So did the girls used to do that? So you would leave them alone? No, they just were doing it for the ten bucks. Like they knew they would like throw them a discount. It was almost like a regular. A this discount. guy got a snorsage oh every God. night. We got off at four. We changed out of our uniforms at four fifteen. Two guys are sitting on either side. Yeah, it's like it was nothing. It was the craziest thing, dude. Like it was nothing. All right, so going back to this pilot. So you do the pilot. Yeah. It gets finished. That was the story when we were in the back. I got a splinter, and Burt Kreischer was hanging out, and I pulled the, the splinter out on camera. And Burt had let out a big yelp. It was funny, but we we shot the pilot. We had a lot of fun, and and even the cameraman and the soundman were going. This I'm having so much fun on this show. Like I can't believe this is. I can't. I can't imagine it's not going to get picked up. And then when it got picked up, <laughs> some of the cameramen and soundmen were were upset that they couldn't. They they weren't chosen to be on the the full shoot. Remember that one guy? There was one. I think his name was Damien. He was super. He just thought yeah, everything. That was a was show fun. on FX when FX sort of started as a network and didn't really understand what it was. Yeah. Well, it was Friday Night Fix. It was Friday night, like a light fair of fixed shows. Hurt Bert. Yeah, and Bert Kreischer. We did a similar deal with him. It was called Hurt Bert. Yeah. yeah. Actually, we would be on the set of Trash to Cash, and you would show up. You know, you know, every couple of days. And in the middle, all of a sudden, you'd go, I have to go. Bert just got bucked from our horse, and he broke six bones <laughs> in his neck. <laughs> it was like every other week. It was like, is it worth four grand a week, Bert? <laughs> oh, and man. one time, he stuck his arm, and a cow's wrecked him. I know. Wrecked him? Damn near killed him. Yeah. <laughs> so you do this show for yeah. seven episodes. <laughs> It gets done. Do you now have the bug, Jimmy? Do you know in your heart, okay, this is something I want to do again. So we did that show, and it was uh, produced by Halleck and Healy. Trash to Cash was produced by Halleck and Healy. Yeah. And then did you want them to do the next one? Or? No, no. We just came up with an idea right. because that show was about fixing up rooms. Trash to Cash was about <laughs> fixing up rooms and setting up an event. And for the audience, Halleck and Healy were famous for doing a show later on called Scare Tactics. Yeah, they were doing that at the same time. That was their big hit. And uh, so we just went back, and I remember investing more money in a new camera, and we shot a couple of... We shot four episodes. We shot the dog cat thing. We shot a guitar oh, yeah. where my we, son was a mute, like the who. Right, right. We shot a show that, I guess, together... Or you what was the name of the show? There was a show called Making It with John and Jimmy. Making It with John. The opening was, he can make anything, I can make anything funny. That was the tagline of the show. I can make anything and John Tim make Gage anything. was a guest. You know who Tim Gage is? He's a Long Island comedian, friend, uh, cousins of Colin Quinn. And he was a guest. Oh, he was so funny. Yeah, because he had that wicked Long Island accent. And so we made four of those, and if I'm not mistaken, they just sat. We made four of them. I still have three of them in the can. You made them on your own. Made them completely on my own with a Sony. How much did each episode cost you from cradle to grave? Five dollars. <laughs> because I bought the camera. I heard the camera was three grand. I owned the camera. And, you know, pizza and two days worth of work. You shot four episodes in two no, days. No, two days per episode. And he's exaggerating, but basically. No, it didn't cost us, us anything. I mean, I bought the equipment. So and you so shot the shows. Which networks do you go to? So I shot the shows and I said, you know what? We're just going to make the episodes ourselves and I'm going to figure out a way to distribute them. And we edited one and we really diced it up nice. We got a good tight edit on it. And then through, I always say, you never know where it's going to come from. One of my friends was a hairstylist and she worked for somebody at HGTV and styling her hair for her wedding. 
and during that conversation, oh, my friend Jimmy does TV shows. He did a TV show. Oh, well, give him my email if you want. You know, she trusted to do that. So I emailed her a little pitch of what was called Making It at the time. And that got us the meeting. And we and we, you showed the pilot in the meeting? We showed the no, pilot. No, no. Can I, can I backtrack? This yeah. is an interesting story. Uh, if I'm oh, not... no. We, we had that tape. They weren't that interested in that tape. They were more interested in a, in a verbal pitch. Here's what we did. She said, look, we like the tape. But what there's a meeting got? coming up. What else do you got? No, from what I gather, this is because the, there's been a few of these fixed shows. There's a big meeting at HGTV in Knoxville, Tennessee coming up. The 10 or 15 biggest of the HGTV are going to meet. What if we snuck you two in, did like a surprise punk at this meeting? And John, you're going to do a quick monologue. We worked it out. You know what? I'm going. You remind. We, we haven't talked about this in so long, but I'm telling you, this is what happened. I remember. <laughs> you, and you, okay. You're jumping in the gun. Ramey got me the meeting with somebody. Okay. We had the meeting and then... Burke? So, uh, no, she was at the meeting. Okay. So Ramey, the hairstylist friend of mine, got us the connection. We sent in the 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 idea for either the restorations... Okay. Or the one you wrote with Peter called Man Rescue. <laughs> Man Rescue is a show where I would go and do the honey-do list and John would take the husband out and do the king of your castle... Ralph Cramden thing with him. What's the honey-do list on the Ralph Cramden thing? <laughs> so, John came up with this show, and this is what they like. That's what got us to meet Well, define what those things are. Okay, the honey-do list is I a wife is constantly browbeating her husband, fix the shelf, fix the doorknob, fix the paint the floor, got and it. then so... And or fix something that he started, right? He started to tile the floor, and he realized he didn't know how to do it. Yeah. She's the, the woman, the wife's berating him, treating him. I come in, I hold his hand, I'm married too. I know what it's like. And then I in other words, the I'm wife, like the therapist to make him feel better. And, and I take he the wife, the wife and gets her happy. And what's the other thing, the definition of the other thing? Well, the Ralph Cramden, King of Your Castle thing. Because he, remember when Ralph Cramden takes out that young married guy and says, you're the king of your castle, and then he gets the guy divorced. <laughs> oh, no, I remember. Yeah. No, I would, I would help him through, you know what I mean? It would be almost like a Woodstock, two cameras. I'm getting this guy peace of mind by making him laugh, and you know, maybe we go out and have a go whatever bowling, go to the flea market. While you're gone, he's going to solve your life. We're going to rescue you as a man. So that that pitch got the meeting, and in the meeting, I handed them the tape for what became hammered. The VHS tape. The VHS tape, and we were calling it making it with John and Jimmy, and that meeting kind of went. It, it was a great meeting. I remember there was a couple people in the meeting. And it, I think it was on the, you were on the phone and I was there in the New okay. York office. And anyway, that kind of went away. And 10 months later, Beth Burke calls me and says, you left the tape here when you were here last year. Beth Burke. Yeah, at HGTV. She okay. now at the Food Network. And Beth said, you left this tape. And they were quoting all the jokes on the tape. Like, can you come up and have another meeting? Because I was in New York, so I went up and I had a meeting with Beth. And like four or five people were in the meeting, and they were all making jokes that John was saying on this tape. They so all, this, they're biting my uh, call. So back. this tape that we left for making it was being passed around the office, and they were all in one by one. It was like went viral in their office, and they thought, let's do this comedy show. It'd be funny where John and Jimmy make stuff. Jimmy makes things. John makes things funny. And... That's when they got that idea for the meeting you're talking about. So we we ended up I ended up making a little pitch of me making something, a one minute video. I emailed it to them. It was me making a table uh, with all the executives' faces in resin. It was very personalized. They came up with this idea and they asked me to do it, and I knocked it out of the park. And then they said we're having a secret meeting down there for like TV concepts. Will you guys come? 
and present this. And so that's what- And we had to do a live, we had a, what, what's the word? Uh, not sabotage, but uh, you know, what do you, like a, like there Presentation was a, or something? In the middle of a meeting, the doors open and here come these two schmucks from Long Island with a crate. We wheeled in a crate, so there was a mystery. So while he's unscrewing the crate, I go, hey, we don't mean to interrupt your reading. We're John and Jimmy, the rest of it. We're from Long Island. We're white trash. We like garbage. You know, I'm doing my shtick. I'm married 16 years. I could have killed her and been out of prison. You know, I got these guys laughing, 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 and he's taking apart the box. And, it, it, and I had such a real moment at one point. I said, Jim, I'm running out of stuff. You know what I mean? Can you get the box open? And if you don't mind me telling the story, Jimmy gets them all the crowd around. It's a resin like table, this thick of, looks like glass. Two inch thick resin. Two inch thick resin, right? On a wrought iron, Jimmy's like, I welded this, I welded that. And in the resin, it said HGTV in wrenches from old rusty wrenches. Yeah. Just as he gets them all to lean in, he flicks a fucking switch and it lights up. And it holds the light like an alien because it's a thick, yeah. and, the, ooh, the, the, and then watch this. This is how you know when you have a TV show sold. One guy <laughs> screams, I want it for my office. And then they all fought over it. And we were in. That was that. That's how. And we watch this. Is a videotape of me and Jimmy walking through two doors. I put a video camera, two swinging doors somewhere. And you hear, laugh, laugh. 15 minutes later, you see those two doors kick open, his dirty work boots, my cheap sneakers, walk past the camera, and, and like one of us says, I think we got a TV show. Awesome. How long was that on the air? We did, uh, that went on in 2006 and seven. We did 26 episodes. So we got two, two seasons, and the pay was better than uh, than you would have thought. Because we came in with our own idea. How'd you split the money on that? Yoink! <laughs> I think we've got no, nine thousand each. No, we got forty five hundred an episode each. Okay, but we got no no producer, no anything. Um, however, an episode only call, uh, took on a good day two days. So we you could make as upwards of nine thousand bucks Monday to Friday. Oh, it was nine thousand bucks a month or something. I remember. No, no, I got I got a check for eleven grand five for eleven thousand five hundred for like a year two episodes. Jimmy, are you now hooked? Are you now like I am? going to be on television i like this or were you like i could care no less. you know i i learned from trash to cash that it's very fleeting it could be something or it could be nothing you got to be prepared for both you got to be prepared i'll tell you a very funny story with nick offerman said nick offerman gave me great advice and i'll talk about that when we get to the uh to the dirty money story but you really got to be prepared for just to go nowhere because it's always a possibility of it going nowhere i remember the last day of trash to cash was a real eye opener. Remember the last shoot day was with uh, Don Juan. That oh, was, okay. I did not know that. That was the last shoot day. We were down in Venice. Don the Magic Juan were having a huge laugh. Don Juan, the famous pimp. Yeah, we yeah. did a pimp car. Uh, and actually, one one of the episodes of Trash to Cash was we pimped this car. Do you remember that? We pimped. It. I know, and then they stole the idea, pimp my ride. And that's a, and you know that to be sort of factual, right? Oh yeah. 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 They ripped off that episode and made. We have bragging out. rights to say that we came up with yeah. my ride, but we didn't see it. It was one episode of our show. They took that one episode and turned it into a series. But I remember we turned around and you and I like got a ride home, and that was the end of it. And we never saw any of those people again. And but that's TV, you know. Like once it's in the can, that's it. And there's no like, hey, let's get together, and you know. Oh right. yeah, when you're between gigs, no friends. <clears throat> All right, so I want to go way, way back. Take me back to your household, the area you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic, family, 
And what was the first inspiration, John, for you getting into comedy and Jimmy for you to getting into designing and working with the camera and finding a camera? Well, the first camera I got was stolen out of a car in Friendly's. Did you know that? No. The guys in the neighborhood used to rob cars all the time and they, they robbed a car in the parking lot of Friendly's ice cream shop and they got a Canon AE-1 and they brought it to the house. It was just worth any money. I was like, I'll take it. So I kept the Canon AE-1 and that was me beginning to do my photography. How old were you? Like 14, 15. So you didn't even have any thought of being in that area. How did you figure out how to use the he camera was, because there's no internet to teach you? How did you learn? Uh, just trial and error, practicing, playing around. How my dad you, was a comedy, uh, was a camera buff. My dad was a camera buff. How much so, would that camera have been worth new? Like five, four or five hundred dollars at the time. This is like 1983, 84, 82. And but you had done some, you had taken some pictures in, uh, in in high school. So he got me interested in photography. Maybe you took a picture of Mike's van. Maybe they took a picture of Mike. My don't. You know what? I just found pictures of me. I don't know how old I was. I was on the Circle Line, and I have pictures of the Twin Towers that I took with my own camera, with the sun glinting off them. Oh, wow. And I took I took uh, photography at Bosies. Bosies was like the uh, poorer white kids. Like, um, you know, you went to like a uh, trade school for yeah. half your day. See, that's uh, why I became interested. Our in older brother went to airplane mechanic school half the day. Jimmy, did you go to BOCES? I went to architecture school half the day. And I took photography. But to get on the BOCES bus, we grew up in a semi-rich neighborhood with, you know, beautiful, young, hot, jappy Jewish girls that what were all pretty. BOCES? It, it took you to a separate place where you learned, like a trade school. You left your normal high school right in front where everyone was smoking cigarettes and socializing. But you got on the BOCES bus, everyone had like a green tattoo. It was all the guys <laughs> that were like ready for prison. Do you know what I mean? So I, I felt embarrassed that I got on the BOCES bus and I only took photography for two days. And oh, there was okay. the most beautiful young girl in my BOCES class that took photography that had I stayed, I probably like, I fell in, madly in love with her. But the embarrassment of getting on the BOCES bus was stronger. So I only took photography That's for two days. It's like asking a bank teller for her number when she can just punch up your balance. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, but so so there was always a camera hanging around the house. But you you took uh, who was our art teacher that we both shared? What was it? Mr. Dunn. You took photography with Mr. Oh, Dunn. Oh, I took filmmaking. Right. No, I took that. Wow. See, I wouldn't even remember that. I took filmmaking with Mr. Dunn, and we made a couple of animated movies in the basement, and then also in the basement of the high school. So, so I remember you taking pictures with Mr. Dunn, and now when that camera showed up at the house. When Sarah and those guys looted this car and brought that camera to the house, I was like, oh, this is the camera that you used. I remember you had one, so I kept it. Okay. Maybe you had it rented from the high school. I don't know. No, remember. Dad bought me an Olympus 10 or something. I remember Dad bought me a camera. You yeah. don't seem to be the kind of guy who would take a camera that was stolen from somebody well, that you knew was stolen. Well, I grew up with a bunch of guys that just, it just kind of, the culture in our neighborhood, everybody just would steal stuff all the time. I never did. I remember one credo my dad always said, my dad always said, don't embarrass me, which means don't get arrested, don't do something stupid, don't embarrass your mother and I. So I, did you know that? I mean, No, I don't remember that, but I know uh, we hung out. Clearly he never got the talk. <laughs> <laughs> but I never, I was too scared. I was a scaredy cat. I mean, I would take the camera once the heat was off, but if they stole it, I would be like, you know, 
keep it in your house for a couple of days. We grew up with a bunch of like just Flid. A Flid is a fucking Long Island douchebag. And we grew up with a bunch of Flids. Some of these guys, like, not only did they steal, they got at one point they got addicted to stealing. Like in other words, they would just go through. Like, just for the, just just for the, 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 the rush the, of it. The rush of it. You get a boost. That's why they call stealing boosting. Did you know that? Yeah. You know what I mean? You get a rush out of it. And these guys would steal shit and our mom would be out and our dad had moved out. And so they, all of a sudden, house our house was, was empty all the time. So the loot was counted on our kitchen table. So Jimmy and I never stole anything, but it was like, you know, here's a camera. You know what I mean? So you grew up in a nice neighborhood. The five towns, you know it? No, why don't you tell our audience? Okay, Goodfellas. Remember the movie Goodfellas? Karen is from Hewlett, from that's, the five towns. If right you ever saw the up. picture of the real girl, she looks exactly like a girl we would have dated, granted, 10 years before. Yeah. We grew up in the five towns considered everyone was a doctor or lawyer or everyone we went to high school with became a doctor or lawyer except the uh, sons of <laughs> the cops, the firemen, and the Guinea Gardens. There's no such thing as a Mexican gardener in Long Island. They were Italian. They were Guinea Gardens. Or, and they, so every summer when all the rich kids went to summer camp, right, in Massachusetts and, you know, upstate New York, we all hung out at Miller's Lot. And got drunk and smoked pot and those guys stole shit and we all came back to Miller's lot and split it up. But the, you know what the funniest thing was? I'll tell you what, hanging out with all those dirtbags was the funniest comedy education. Here's the deal. We ever got. Ever, watch this, I tell this to a lot of people. It's like Football, Pat Albert. lacrosse, this, that, and all these other towns, the 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 degenerates that we hung out with. The funniest the only guys thing, the Well, world. the only thing that mattered was being funny. I mean, like, it was the thing. And, I'm, yeah, I was a quasi-champ. So you were the funniest guy of anybody. But, <laughs> but, out of, but out of a group of guys that you meet, it's like you, it's like you, when you hang with the five biggest comedians that are, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There's always a, uh, like, not only was I funny, I was funny amongst a group of guys that were really funny. Does it always amaze you like there's somebody who you really respect as a comedian and you've never met them and you watch their comedy and you're like, holy shit, this guy is so much energy and so funny on stage. And then off stage, he's like, hey, John, how you doing? Man? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and they never make a joke. I haven't they, met too many of them, but I know I know where you're coming from. Like it's it's a total someone someone told me recently that they're like, hey, wow, I saw you're at, you know. It's one of my furniture customers said, and he's known me for five years. He saw me do stand up two nights in a row, and he said, "Wow, you're kind of like a different, you know, up there. Like you kind of you're different. You turn it on more. Like I didn't notice it, but he's very like he was like, no, dude, you're, you know, it's like uh, it's almost. I guess it's a learned saving it. No, no, no. In other words, uh, no. You, I mean, you turn it on because it is a show. Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah, is a yeah, show. But I understand up. what you're saying. I don't have any examples of people that. Again, we were guys that were, I guess, as Rupert Pupkin would say, on funny. Remember that when he's looking through the book and he says, that's your, he's what you call on funny. And I think that means that you just, and I do it in my everyday life. If I'm going to have a set tonight or a set tomorrow, I, I, I try and remain funny throughout the whole day. I try and maintain the same level of, you know, I'll do a raunchy joke in front of a complete stranger, you know, knowing that, you know, I kind of test the limits. I kind of know what I can get away with. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career, 
and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. So getting back to the household, there were four children? Yeah, four of us, yeah. Okay, who was the youngest, who was the oldest? I was the youngest boy, and then we have a youngest sister. She's four years younger than me. Kathleen, Jimmy, John, and Joey, all about two years apart. So Joey's older than you. Joey's older. He lives in New Jersey. So you're growing up. Your parents stay together or they get divorced? Divorced, 1980, 81? Well, they stayed together till I was 18. I came back from college and my dad didn't live there anymore. And it made me sad. Okay, so you didn't even know that they were... Uh, they were fighting. There was, was black was like... eyes. <laughs> they just... No, no. They just didn't just get never, along. They never got my along. Dad, I, I, think, I think it's because... And he can maybe... Our dad is like... A, it's it's kind of like my way of the highway. And, and if things don't go, it's then it's wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like, if I just suggested to you something and you didn't do it, I'd be okay. But in certain people's mind... It's wrong. I mean, you know, what you're doing now is not what I suggested. I don't know if that's right. And so you, your parents own the house? Yeah, they own My mom still owns it to this day. They own it together still. Got it. So your dad left the house. My dad got, we lived in Woodmere. My dad's first joke ever was he got D. Woodmere in 1980. <laughs> so where did he go? Did Oceanside. He find, did he find another girl? Oceanside. He found Catherine Melito and he moved in with her in Oceanside, Long Island. And he's married to her. Um, she passed. She but, passed away. But they were together for a long time. And Oceanside is where Henry Hill lived. Did your mother like this woman? They, uh, they were actually friends. They were the, part of the same circle. And did your mother remarry? No. She never did she know. ever go out with a guy? No, not that I know of. No. She started having grandkids and she said, that's all I need. So, John, you decide that you want to be a policeman. Um, I fell into it. I always wanted to be. I, my idols were, um, were uh, Stallone, Travolta. De Niro, like I always, I had posts, and when I look back, I had pictures of Black Sabbath and Stallone, like in my wall, like I was a heavy metal fan. I always wanted to be funny. I, I literally looked in, Jimmy doesn't know this, I used to look in the Newsday under C in the one ads for comedians. <laughs> like I, I didn't know you can go to a comedy club and just start. I did not know that. I thought saying you wanted to be a comedian was the equivalent of saying I want to be an astronaut. This is before being a cop. This is before being a cop. So I always wanted to do something and I didn't what know was what the it was. first inspiration, the wanting to be funny. Like what happened in the house? Was your was there an album? Was there a television? Just always show? Was I was always funny. My mom says when I was a little kid I always put on hats. I was a prop comedian, like any hat. And I don't remember this at all. My mom said I did a wicked imitation of Tom Snyder, who later on in life became a friend of mine. Um, I did his show four times in one year. 
Incredible. And, and out of the 10,000 people he interviewed, right before he died, he was asked, who are your top three? And he said, John Lennon, John DeResta, and Jeffrey Tubin, the lawyer that's on CNN. Wow. So, but I did an imitation of him as a kid. Toes up. But zoink, I still have his email. <laughs> I do, he's the only famous person I have their email. I had Nick Offerman's and now it says, this is no longer in use. <laughs> Toes in. Yeah. So it was nothing you watched on television? I mean, uh, yes. Watch this. When my mom used to go to Florida to visit her mom, my dad would have me, Joey, and Jimmy got to stay up late Sunday nights and watch Monty Python. And we were like, what the fuck is this? It was so funny and unusual. When I was in sixth grade, I was in a club where you had to have seen every Honeymooners or you couldn't be in it. My dad, I mean, you know, we're eight years old and, you know, and we're seeing a woman with no shirt on. You know what I mean? You know, I got a half a bone. You know what I mean? Okay. All I needed all I needed was Michael Jackson to put his tongue in my anus. <laughs> Again. Um, what else? Right. I mean, Happy Days and uh, obviously comedy albums. Yes, to answer your question, uh, Richard Pryor. We had all Richard Pryor because we had a workshop. That's You didn't even get to that. We had a workshop in the basement. That's where we up. learned how to be crafty. So That's how I learned how to do stuff. Though. So we would listen to so Hank your dad Williams. was handy. With oh, totally handy. Totally handy. What did he do for a living? He was a New York City fireman, but he was the local carpenter in Long Island. So he owned a home by being a local fireman. He, a New York City fireman. And we lived in a rich neighborhood, but he bought a house on the busiest street in all of Nassau County. All of our pets were eventually hit by a car. Even the fish. <laughs> That's a busy street. To this day, my to this day, Jimmy can. can my mother still lives on that. Not street. only that, Jimmy can attest to this. Every time we were out in front, bicycles, whatever, playing. Whenever a car would skid, my dad would come down, and the towel would have the shaving cream because he thought one of us just got fucking dismembered. <laughs> we lived on a really busy street. It's the only way he can afford a house in this nicer area. Every time he says something that dies, I just automatically <laughs> think toes up. I don't know what. This Remember when Patches got hit by a car? We had a cat that got hit by a car, and on the way to the um, the uh, vet hospital, it it released its bowels. And it filled my brother Joey's lap with wet shit. <laughs> and it was cat shit. So you know how it smells surly? Did the cat survive? The cat died. And do you remember the kitten story with the cooler? Uh, no, I, I... Patches had kittens, so now she had no mother, no teat. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's six kittens. So my dad says, let's do the right thing and take him to the animal rescue. But he puts him in a cooler and duct tapes it on the hottest day of August. Never thinks that there's no air. So when we opened it up at the, the in Limbrook, they were all they were like gasping for air, upside down, covered in sweat. <laughs> they were like horseshoe crabs. They all lived. They all lived. But he just he thought it was going to be a short trip. Yeah, he had a duct tape like they were going to escape. What so, person with common sense doesn't put holes in a box? Yeah, in a box. You're, no, he put him in a cooler. You're five years old and you have a turtle or a little thing and you put holes in the shoe Praying box. mantis. <laughs> you always put holes in the shoe box. So we would, my dad had, watch this, my dad had Red Fox albums and, and now tell me, watch this, you're a comedy guru. Tell me if you know who Gene Tracy is. No. You don't know who Gene Tracy is? You don't know is. Gene uh, Tracy, the truck stop comedian? He's the truck stop comedian. My dad had him on 8-track. And all he did was truck stops. And all it was was set up punchline. He's the original uh, get her done. He's the original, not to take anything away from him, 
from uh, Larry the Cable Guy. He's the original blue collar setup. You know, there was old ladies. Tell me know. three jokes. He um, he said, uh, you know, this old guy stopped at a truck stop and he, he come to the waitress and he said, this old trucker, he come, he say, hey, he wants to get fucked. And the waitress said, go across the street to hotel room 305. The old boy goes across the street, room 305, knocked on the door. Ten minutes later, old man screamed, what do you want? And the trucker said, I want to get fucked. He said, slip $300 under the door. Slip $300 under the door. 20 minutes later, what do you want? I want to get fucked. Again? <laughs> Those are the type of jokes. And he's now on uh, YouTube. Got it. Gene Tracy. But watch this. Listening to Gene Tracy on YouTube, High on Pot in North Hollywood, brings me right back to the basement of my dad. I know every joke. And some of my earliest memories <clears throat> of being funny was I play organized football, and um, Coach Jankowski called me Smiley. He used to say, this kid's always smiling. He used to call me Smiley. And, um, and I always do a joke that 12 years as a New York City transit cop and 30 years of being married, no one's called me Smiley since Mr. Jankowski in 1976. And then when I played Little League, I used to remember I would make fun of the coach and everybody would laugh. John's always good. So I would always wait for the zinger. You know what I mean? I would wait and sit on the zinger, much like you did with your... Uh, that's the parrot joke? <laughs> no, I would That's sit. what I used to do in class all the time. Yeah. I would wait for the moment and I would tell the joke. The yeah. class would laugh. And the teachers, after a while, they never even... They gave up. They gave up and they just rolled with it. And watch this. Um, I have a book that I bought at a garage sale that says intelligence, true intelligence, is the ability to sum up a situation vocally and have everyone agree with you that's the sign of a good comedian not just a set up punchline joke but to sit and wait for your you know for your right moment it's it's like a gift tell us how you became a police officer why you decided to go i um i uh went to nassau community college for six months i got uh, i just didn't take it seriously i went to new paltz college upstate new york not even knowing at all what my major would be. I just wanted to go to sleepaway college. That's it. I wanted to go and party. I got kicked out of both, suspended. I moved to Huntington Beach, California in 1984 to be with my older brother, Joey. He was in the Marines. So this is the first time I ever moved to California. I'm from Long Island. I lived on Joey's couch for six months in his garage. I did drugs. I drank. I listened to heavy metal. And in that middle of that six months, my dad said, I registered you for the New York City police exam the New York City fire exam, and the New York City corrections exam. You need to get your life together. You're 19, you need benefits, you need a pension. And I said, I need twisted sister and rolling paper. <laughs> but I started to get enamored with the idea of being a New York City cop. We had a best friend, Jimmy Hellison, the gun, the badge, the steady paycheck, the stories. You know what I mean? I just, I, I got so, I lost weight. I shaved the mustache. Uh, I went through the medical, the physical. I went through all that stuff. And they said, well, we have a record here that you were suspended from college for, uh, for pulling a uh, squirt and fire extinguisher. I was drunk and high. So that left me six months. I had to go to New Paltz. I had to get a letter that said he's not a bad guy. He just pulled the fire extinguisher. And on July 15th of 1986, I finally got your in. You go down with 3,000 guys online in Manhattan. And for every 10 guys, eight went to NYPD. Two went to transit, one went to housing. And that day I got assigned to the New York City Transit Police. And it was very depressing to start your police career, to be a New York City cop, to say, ah, you're going to be in the subway. And I had never been in the subway in my whole life. I'm from Long Island. 
know what I mean? Who rides a subway? I got stuck in the transit police. I went through the police academy. I did the whole thing. And I took the test, the medical, the physical. Um, I was riding the train at night as a rookie cop. I didn't like it. I took the medical. I emptied my, I got a, the next assignment day was like a year later. I emptied out my locker. I gave the double thumbs up, the double fingers, middle finger to all my transit buddies. I said, I'm going to the NYPD. The next day, guess what I got assigned to? Transit. I got transit for the second time. How could that It's happen? just by luck of the draw. I got transit, and this is a true story. Jimmy probably doesn't know this. I said to the guy, I had a suit. He had a very distinct tattoo like this. He had a short sleeve, like a Sipowitz, a tie, but short sleeve. Young guy. He says, hey, what's your name? I said, Duresti. He says, hey, I got bad news, guy, you transit. I said, what? He goes, you transit. And he leaned in. He goes, I'm transit. It ain't that bad. I go, I'm transit, and it sucks, and you know it. And he goes, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> so watch this. A year later, I'm out on, we got a new sergeant in the winter. He's got the long sleeve shirt the whole winter. And I'm going, I know this guy, I know this guy, I know this guy. How do I know this guy? But he's older than me. How do I know this guy? First day, it goes to the spring, short sleeve shirt at roll call. I said, you, he had the tattoo. I said, you motherfucker, you gave me transit for the second time. He goes, that was you. I tell that story every day. <laughs> you were crying. Dude, I was crying. So I was going to quit the job. I was just going to quit. You don't, no one quits those jobs. But, and then I met Fran. And remember the Katuzzi? Yes. Fucking pregnant. <laughs> you got her pregnant the first time you had sex? That's right. Cover your drink. That was a bad cum joke. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, we, we wind up dating, and then we got married right away. And from the day we got married in Hawaii, my son Matt was born nine months later. And then my daughter was born 11 months later. So then I couldn't quit. Now I was stuck being a transit cop. I sucked. Hated everything about it. And then one night on the homeless outreach bus, my partner, Mike Venkis, rest his soul, he just died. He said he was reading the village voice, and he goes... Look at this. He said, they have the thing where you could bring friends and you can get on stage with no fame. You just, you get stage, you get on the stage. You just gotta bring friends. Like we didn't even know the verbiage. Then he goes, look at this. It's a fucking comedy class. He said, you know, you're thinking about it. And I, and I drove home. I got off at six in the morning. Fran had a crying baby in each arm. And I said, I wanna be a comedian. It may take 10 years to make a dime. I thought it would take 10 years. And uh, I said, but I'm not going to quit the job. I, I go on duty at night as a cop in Manhattan. It's perfect timing. Long pause. She said, I want another baby. And we made the deal right then. Shannon was born nine months later. And within six months, I told you, I was starting to get 25 here, 50 there. Why would she want another baby when she has two crying babies? Because she's a fucking sick maniac. <laughs> Why did she want any to begin with? They're a fucking hassle. So you make a deal. To... I made her a deal. I literally said, and in my, before I even answered it, my mind went, if I have three infants, I'm going to have to drive to every fucking gig. In, you know what I mean? I, I literally said, this is going to make me want to work harder. And I said, yes. And Shannon was born nine months later. And within that nine months, I started to grab, I won New York's Funniest Cop. I started to grab $50 here, 80 there. I still remember I walked into the old New York Comedy Club. Do you remember the old New York Comedy Club on 51st yeah. and 1st upstairs? It was completely empty. I got there an hour and a half early for an open mic. That's how excited I was. And Chris Mazzilli goes, hold on. He goes, you want to make $80 tomorrow night? Fucking my eyes lit up. He goes, do you know what Throg's Neck is? I said, sure. He said, you're on tomorrow night. 
Uh, here's the guy's phone number at Knights of Columbus. I pull up. There's nowhere to park. It's like comedy night once a year. Everybody comes out right under the uh, Frog's Neck Bridge. And I couldn't find anywhere to park. The show, I go running in. The show was late. And they go, you're on first after the host. And it was just like 350 drunken white cops and firemen. And I said, uh, hey, you know, thanks for having me. Plenty of parking. <laughs> That's the first thing I said. And boom, everyone laughed. I go, I had to park in Queens and walk the fuck back <laughs> over the bridge. Thank God there wasn't a toll. <laughs> Those first two jokes that ever I said, and I said to myself as I walked in, if I have trouble parking, they probably have trouble parking. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, like I put that two together, and by the time that was the first two jokes, and with that, a guy comes walking by with a tray of beer, and it looked just like a, a Lenny from Lenny uh, from Laverne and Shirley. You would have thought it was him, Michael McCann. Uh -huh. And I just went, look at this Lenny and Squiggy looking motherfucker. <laughs> That's all I said. Never and then I, another zinger. And then the next day, my sergeant in the homeless outreach goes like this to me. He goes, uh, and I thought, because I never got permission for a second job. He goes, uh, I was at that show last night. I go, you what? He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, that Lenny and Squiggy motherfucker is my brother-in-law. <laughs> he goes, that was the funniest fucking shit I ever saw in my life. So the validation was through the roof. I was at a garage sale in Monroe, New York, 50 miles away. It's the first time I ever got recognized. I'm at a garage sale. Because I used to say, with a wife and three little toddlers, you can go garage sale and have fun. Kids could buy books. You can get interested in shit. You know what I mean? You can have 50 cents and, and have fun. I'm at a garage sale. Guy goes, you're a transit cop? I go, he goes, you're a comedian, right? I said, yeah, how did you know? He goes, you did our uh, our party in the, in the Great Neck. We had a vandals party. Those are the guys that do the graffiti unit. He said, uh, yeah, dude, you were fucking funny. He said, uh, your opening act, fucking guy sucked. Because to tell you the truth, we want our food back. Because <laughs> that's what we got paid in food. He Ooh. said he wanted his food back. <clears throat> it was Joe Badalamente. Oh. He just had a bad set. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. 
you have to create your own content. You can't just sit around waiting for a script to come along and you act in it. You got to write the script. You got to make the scenario. You got to learn how to use a camera. I don't think it's that way anymore where you just get chosen. It does happen, of course, but you really have to create your opportunities. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. Cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.